So as I said at the beginning, many of you are here this weekend because of a family reunion and heard a lot about that already. But family reunions, I think, are are always kind of unique because even though uh, many of you probably don't see each other for a long time, as soon as you get in the same room with one another, you can uh, pick up conversations very easily, much more easily than if you were put into a room with with a bunch of strangers where conversations, as you know, are a little bit more surface and become a little bit more forced. But in those kind of reunions, in those kinds of settings, there's a sense of familiarity there. You don't, need, you don't need any mixer games, right? You all know one another. You don't need to learn one another's names. Everyone is familiar, and it's a time really just to catch up with what you have been up to. Well, this morning, we're going to look at probably the most familiar portion of the Bible. Psalm 23. Psalm 23. So... I invite you to turn there already, but I hope that as we walk through this familiar passage today, you won't let uh, that sense of familiarity keep you from thinking through its meaning and and through, uh, really, the profound application to your life right now. I just have to admit that I was planning to go a different route this Sunday, uh, but some of the events of this past week and for the past number of weeks have just kind of made me think that we need a dose of not just the familiar uh, familiarity of Psalm 23, but its richness and its uh, profundity and its depth. What really made me think of preaching this today was spending time with some of the Matthew family on Friday morning. While I was there, one of uh, Joe and Gwen's daughters said that her one son still had to ma- say some more Bible verses in order to go to camp. And so he had memorized them. And if you know anything about our camp, we have a discount for people that memorize a number of verses. And so, hey, since I was there anyways, uh, could uh, Gibson do this? Uh, He had to say them to a pastor in order to attend camp. Well, wouldn't you know that one of the passages that he had to memorize was Psalm 23. And of course, he did that flawlessly. But I think all of us that were there in that room, and one one of the guys actually mentioned how those words applied to the situation with Andrew. And God in his providence allowed us to hear that portion of scripture for this time. Through these times, God acts as what he is portrayed as in Psalm 23, as a caring shepherd. The reason Psalm 23 is so loved, I think, is because it's so comforting. It's a, it's a soothing sort of picture and a comforting psalm reminding us that we are always, as believers, under the care of a good shepherd. It's especially comforting during tough times. We read this psalm often to people who are sick. We read this to people who are grieving. But this is a psalm that can also give comfort during, during the everyday of life. Maybe just during those times of uncertainty and decision. Maybe during one of those bad days. When nothing seems to go right. This psalm is appealing because it assures us of God's presence. It brings a sense of security that that all is under control when we put ourselves under the care of the shepherd. And so I want to look a little bit closer at how the shepherd cares for his sheep. The thing that we need to note from the top is that this psalm was written from the vantage point of one sheep looking at his shepherd. And that sheep here is talking about the experience of being a bigger 
part of the flock and, and writing a song really is what this is about the shepherd. It's like you writing a poem or, or a song a, about someone that's been influential in your life. Maybe a mentor, maybe a grandmother or a grandfather, maybe someone you go or have gone to in the past for direction and advice. Only here, the shepherd is none other than God himself. The ultimate guide, the perfect guide, the perfect mentor. Now let me just say at the outset that we're at a bit of a disadvantage in trying to figure out what this psalm means. Even though it's so familiar to us, there is a little bit of a time gap and, uh, and an image gap. We don't really know a whole lot about shepherds and sheep. I know a couple of you have, have uh, sheep farms, and, uh, and so you know a little bit more about that. But even the whole shepherding picture out in the fields is, is, is not as familiar. They're now more contained. And so we really don't know a whole lot about that, especially how it worked in ancient Palestine. And so the symbolism is a little bit foreign to us. So in order to bridge that gap, I read up a little bit about uh, how it worked for shepherds and being part of that profession in Palestine. This psalm is written by King David. And if you know anything about David before he became a king, you'll remember that he uh, was a shepherd. Psalm 78 verse 70 says that God chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. And so David is really drawing on, these, on those memories to write this psalm. Only now he turns things around to the point where he places himself, instead of being the shepherd, he places himself as being one of the sheep that, are, that were under his care. He's looking over his life. He's, he's looking over his relationship with God, and he realizes how his life parallels that of a sheep under the care of a shepherd. And that's really the first way to apply this psalm, the main way to apply this psalm to whatever situation you are in. The first thing you need to do is to recognize yourself as a sheep. And let's just admit that that could take some doing. And here's why. What's the first description you hear when someone describes a sheep? They're dumb, right? (laughs) And so... You know, they always have that sort of adjective that precedes them. They're in- unintelligent. They're clueless. And so if we want to think of ourselves as sheep, we have to ask ourselves, do we really want to go there now? This might reveal a little bit more than we're comfortable with. Can this really be us? Well, yes, I think, it, I think we can put ourselves in that image. Stuart Briscoe says this. He says, there's something vaguely disturbing about sheep behavior as it relates to human behavior. People, like sheep, have a tendency to desert what's good for them, believing something better is just out of reach. When it comes down to it, we really are like sheep, aren't we? Even the Bible picks that up in one of its most, one of the other, probably I would say even more important than this, they're all important and they're all inspired, but Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We too have this uncanny ability to wander off. In our folly, we try to go it on our own. We we leave the shepherd. We think we know better. We can even put it into sheep terms and say and we we always do this, right? We we think the grass is greener on the other side. In every human being, there's some kind of a, a strange 
inbred propensity to go the wrong way. And so as we look at this psalm, it's a, it's a good thing to be able to see ourselves as sheep. And, and it's only as we do that that we will really start to see the value of the shepherd. And so David starts there by writing, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. As I looked at this, I kind of thought of that first verse as kind of a launching pad uh, of the rest of the psalm, because in the rest of it, he's going to describe how the Lord guides and how, because the Lord is the shepherd, the sheep, David in this case, is not lacking anything. This idea of identifying the, uh, God as the shepherd is in itself interesting. God is timeless. He is unchanging. He is uh, self-sufficient. Yet David identifies God as the, she- as the shepherd, the lowest and the most ordinary of, of all jobs there in ancient Palestine. It was the job usually given to the youngest of the family. And David, of course, knew that firsthand. He was the youngest of Jesse's children. It was the least prestigious job. And yet the Lord chooses to go down. He chooses to condescend and to be our shepherd. And later, Jesus identifies himself as the shepherd too. Passage I just read, John 10, I am the good shepherd. And so he starts off, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This could really be translated, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. It's not really the kind of want um, that's sort of the one word I hear when I take our youngest boys to the store. You know, I want this. I, ah, Daddy, can I have that? I, I want that. It's, it's not so much a, a want of desire. It's more that with the Lord as his shepherd, David would never be left wanting. There's nothing else he needs. There's really nothing he lacks. Now sheep, when left to themselves, lack everything. They can't do anything for themselves. They, they go their own way. They lack a sense of direction. They're, they're easily frightened. They, they can't find food or water. They are helpless. They need someone to guide them. They need a shepherd. And a, and a good shepherd will supply everything the sheep needs to survive and to thrive. Now, I just want to interject here and say that when we look at ourselves, no matter how things are going, we, we always lack something, right? We always think if we had a bigger house, or if we had a different job, or if only I had more money. We sometimes even say that for for righteous reasons, right? If I had more money, I'd be able to give more away. But this is saying that as sheep, you will never lack anything. Here's the difference. You will never lack anything that the shepherd thinks is good for you. You will never lack anything that the shepherd thinks is good good for you. Psalm 34:10 says, "Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing." Psalm 84:11, "The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. For those who are God's sheep, he knows exactly what you need, and you will not be left wanting anything that he thinks is good for you." This is the kind of shepherd that God is. David knows that God is shepherd-like because God has kept and had kept his covenant promises with Israel. You'll remember when the Israelites were in the desert, God provided for them. 
Deuteronomy 2 verse 7 says, Those, These 40 years the Lord God has been with you, you have lacked nothing. And then even after that, when they get to the promised land, God provides for them again. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land in which you will lack nothing, it says later on in Deuteronomy. God gave them everything he knew they needed. And he will do the same for us, for you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be left wanting. So what are all the things that the sheep won't lack? Well, the rest of Psalm 23 tells us. And we'll just go quickly through these. The sheep will not lack rest. Look at verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Lying down and, and still waters conjure up those images of rest. A man by the name of Philip Keller grew up as a shepherd, and he wrote a very helpful book. The book is called, uh, I think it's called The Shepherd Looks at, at Psalm 23. He, he's got great insights in that book, and, and one of those has to do with this verse. Notice it says that the shepherd makes me lie down in green pastures. And so Keller there talks about the fact that, that sheep don't lie down easily. Certain factors have to be in place before they can rest. And those missing factors can be provided by the shepherd. Sheep have to be free from all fear. As long as the shepherd is close, they will have no fear. Sheep have to be free of all friction from other sheep in order to lie down. And when the shepherd came, they would break up fights, basically. They'd be the referee. Sheep have to be free from pests. And so if insects were around, it would be impossible for them to lie down. Sort of like when you're laying down at night and there's a fly in the room, right? It's impossible to fall asleep. This thing is a nuisance. You can't rest. Well, shepherds would have things that would repel insects so the sheep would, could find rest. Only the shepherd could make sure all these factors were in place before the sheep could lie down in green pastures. And as for the still waters, sheep will not drink from a fast-flowing stream. And so the shepherd would actually sometimes build a dam in the water so a pool would form so the sheep could drink. Well, David says that the Lord is the one who provides rest and peace. That's how the psalm starts out. It's also how the Christian life starts, if you really think about it, as we rest in the Lord. And in Jesus Christ, we start by resting in God, the one who's done everything for us through Jesus Christ. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Rest is really another word for faith. It's knowing you can't get to God in your own abilities, but it's resting in what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ. And in the Christian life, you also have the rest associated with green pastures and still waters. Do you know that? Rest is, a, rest is really a foreign word for many of us. You're thinking, rest? You, you don't know what my job requires of me. Or, you know, I'm a busy mom. I've got three kids to take care of. Or, or to run over to music lessons or to, or to sports events. Well, God provides green pastures and still waters. And sometimes he will make you lie down in them sort of a forced rest. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Secondly, sheep will not lack life. 
says there that he restores my soul in, at the beginning of verse 3. This just means that he restores life. He, he picks us up. Keller talks about sheep who are cast down. Psalm 42.11 says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? That, that comes from the image of sheep that, that fall down and are unable to get up. You might remember that, uh, I think it was called Life Call, that, that commercial from a number of years ago where it shows this elderly, helpless lady who says, I've fallen and I can't get up. That sometimes happens to sheep who are a little heavy or who have too much fleece. They would lie down, but if they'd relax too much, the weight would sort of, it's kind of a funny picture, I guess, would roll them right over and they would not be able to get up. And once they're upside down, sheep start panicking. And what happens, Keller says, is that gases would start uh, building up in their body to the point that some actually would die. Well, in Old English, they would be cast down. And so the King James Version says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? But again, the only one that can restore the sheep from that condition is the shepherd. That's why David, in speaking of God, says, He restores my soul. He, he gives life back. In Psalm 51, when David asks God to forgive him for committing adultery, he pleads for God to restore the joy of my salvation. Peter, even after he denied Jesus three times, is eventually restored by the risen Christ. There are three times again in John 21. Sometimes we are like those cast down sheep, aren't we? And we get into spots where we're absolutely helpless. And the only one that can help us out of that situation is God. We are in need of restoration. Maybe it's a situation you've gotten yourself into. Maybe it's something that's happened to you. Maybe it's despair or depression where you, you just feel like you can't get up. But Jesus, the Good Shepherd, will come and pick you up and will get you on your feet again. How does He restore us? Well, He does it through His Word. Back in Psalm 19, David wrote, The law of the Lord is perfect. Listen, listen to this. Law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. Law restores. The law of the Lord is the agent of restoration. The Bible is God's mechanism to restore people. When you get turned around, upside down, you can turn to God. And the main way you do that is through His Word. So I encourage you to allow His Word to allow you to get back on your feet. Whatever your situation is, as despairing as it seems, as helpless as it seems, you can always find hope and answers in God's Word. And God's Spirit then will help you understand His Word and apply His Word to your situation. Let me just say that the sheep in this psalm are those who trust in God as their shepherd. But there's also a restoration for those of you that are not sheep. And that's the restoration that comes from trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. In, in the Garden of Eden, you'll remember that Adam and Eve had an intimate relationship with God. It even says that they walked with God. But after they sinned, that was no longer the case. They were ashamed. They, they hid. They were separated from God. It says that God actually drove them out of the garden, and he actually put some angels there to guard the garden so that mankind could not enter in again. And so there's that sense of desperation. So what is the first way to apply this verse? He restores my soul. Well, our souls need restoring. We as descendants, as great-great-grandchildren of Adam, are also separated from God. We were all upside down with no way to get back on our feet because of our sin. 
And only God, our shepherd, could provide a way back. What did he do? He sent the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. And because of that, we have life. And John 10 says we have it life abundantly. We were dead, and now we've been made alive with Christ. He restores my soul. That's, that's what makes us sheep in the first place. If, if you are not one of God's sheep, I encourage you today, put your faith in Jesus Christ to restore your soul. So sheep under the care of the shepherd will not lack rest. They will not lack life. Thirdly, sheep will not lack guidance. Look at the end of verse 3. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, giving guidance is probably the main task of the shepherd. Like I said before, sheep are generally dumb. And they were prone to wander away from the rest of the flock. And usually if one sheep wandered away, the rest would blindly follow. And so they needed guidance from the shepherd. The, the flock in Palestine were also continually on the move. That was the kind of society that they lived in. It was sort of a sojourning society, always grazing in different places. And apparently on the hillsides, there were a lot of paths. And shepherds were experts at reading the tracks, and, and they made sure that their sheep would stay on the right path. Now the significance here for us, I hope you can see, is, is obvious. Just like there are many paths for sheep, there are many voices that vie for our attention. Even in the decisions we make, there are lots of options that seem to be good ones. And so we need someone who knows the trails, who, uh, someone we can trust to, to put us on the right path, to, to make us head in the right direction. And so we need to submit to the leadership of the shepherd. The way Hebrews puts it, he says, fix your eyes on Jesus. And then get familiar with God's word. The shepherd will reveal the right paths through his word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, the light unto my path. Are you looking to the shepherd for guidance as you journey through life? Chuck Swindoll tells a story of when he was in the Marine Corps and their ship was uh, sailing in the northeast corner of Taiwan. He says, we stopped there at the mouth of the harbor and waited for the arrival of the harbor pilot who came and took the wheel of the ship and began to weave us through the pathless waters that led to the dock. At first glance, he writes, that seemed like an impossible or an unnecessary thing to do. We could see the dock less than a mile ahead. But the closer we looked over the side of the ship and into the crystal clear waters, we could tell why. There were mines located randomly beneath the surface of the water. The hull of our ship had just nudged a mine. Disaster would have occurred. But the pilot of the harbor knew where every mine was located. You need a perfect shepherd to guide you through the mines of life. Sometimes it doesn't look like there's anything dangerous in the waters. But there are. And they will lead you astray and into danger. Without the good shepherd, we will surely wander off into the wrong paths. Remember that verse in Isaiah 53? We all, like sheep, have gone astray. God will guide you back from sin, and he'll guide you back into the right path. God's sheep will not lack guidance. Just uh, mark those last four words there at the end of verse 3, for his name's sake. All of God's acts in saving and in protecting and in keeping his sheep are, are for his glory. 
Ephesians 1 says that God chose us for the, before the foundations of the, of the world. Why? For what purpose? To the praise of his glory. And so this is all for his name's sake. Well, fourthly, sheep will not lack protection. They will not lack guidance. They will not lack protection. Look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. One of the paths on which the shepherd guides us is through the valley. How many of you have relied on this verse, I trust, in the last few days and weeks? This is a verse of comfort, that God walks with us even through the tough times. But this verse, in its context, also talks about the protection that the shepherd gives as he takes his sheep through the valleys. God walks with us even through the tough times. But this verse, in its context, also talks about uh, that it happens in everyday life as well. In order to go from the low-lying area where the sheep would spend the winter to the high pastures in the summer, they had to pass through these dark valleys. And these valleys were, were usually dangerous. Valleys are, were prone to all sorts of dangers. They were prone to floods. They were prone to storms. They were prone to wild animals that hid in the caves and the canyons. And so the shadows of death are talking about the darkness of, the, of these valleys and the, and the dangers that can lead even to death. But notice that the valleys are as much, of, much part of the right path as the green pastures. God will take you through valleys sometimes, but those valleys develop develop a sense of closeness to God. The important thing is that God is with you, and because of that, you need fear no evil. You need fear no evil. God takes you through the valley, but he will also protect you as you go through the valley. You're not, uh, you're not immune from the valleys of life, but God protects you as you go through those valleys. What a great word of comfort for all of us. We never have to go through these valleys alone. Notice how David changes from talking about God in the first three verses to talking to God in this verse. Talks about he, he, he makes me to lie down, he, he leads me. But then it, here it switches. It says, you are with me. Your rod and staff comfort me. Why the switch? Well, I think here's one of the reasons. It might be that the challenges, the trials, the valleys of life draw us closer to God. When we're, when we're on the mountain, when we're in the green pastures, we have a tendency to talk about God. But when we get into the valley, we start to talk to God, don't we? And so God is there to comfort us. And he's there to comfort us with his rod and his staff. The, the shepherd uses a rod for protection and for fending off the animals, and he used a, a staff or a, or a crook to pull sheep away from the danger. You are with me, your rod and staff, they comfort me. Number five, Keller has pointed out that the highlands where the sheep moved in the summer are sometimes called tablelands. And so look at verse five. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. You prepare a table. The shepherd would go ahead of his flocks and he would prepare the field before the sheep started grazing there, and then he would take them up into these tablelands. He would, he would get rid of all the physical dangers. He would de uh, destroy the poisonous plants. He would uh, drive away any predators, and then these highlands would be ready for the flock to graze. The table would be prepared, even in the presence 
of enemies. Another man by the name of Charles Slemming studied shepherds in the Middle East, and he says that the shepherd would come to a new field, and what he would do is he would look for holes in the ground where, where snakes, uh, where vipers might live. And these vipers would come up out of their holes on, on, those, uh, on those pastures, and they would just quickly nip the sheep on the nose. But that little nip was fatal. It would often kill some of the sheep. And so to combat that, shepherds would have a bottle of thick oil. And when they found a hole, they would pour sort of a glob just at the top of it. And then he would also spread some of that oil over each each, uh, sheep's head, anointing their heads with oil. And so when the vipers wanted to attack, they couldn't because their smooth bodies couldn't uh, pass over the slippery oil. I don't know. I think this might be a good thing for gophers. <laughs> Use an ancient remedy. <laughs> so for the sheep, the oil acted as a, you know, maybe you put it this, these terms too, it acted as an ancient day deep woods off. It was a repellent. You have anointed my head with oil. You have filled my cup. What a great picture of a shepherd who, again, provides everything we need. Whether it's oil for protection or whether it's water for refreshment, the shepherd provides what we need right to the point where these provisions are overflowing. He supplies our needs abundantly. The shepherd cares for his sheep. And sometimes he uses the church to do that act for him. And I saw that this week as many people gathered around and tried to help wherever they could. And, And the provisions were literally overflowing. And then he closes with a great word. Surely goodness and loving mercy, uh, loving kindness, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so with God as our shepherd, finally, number six, we will not lack a heavenly home. Sorry, I got that wrong in your sermon notes there. I kind of was cutting and pasting and I forgot to change the, the, the word there. So it's, we will not lack a heavenly home. Psalm, psalm 23 really is a psalm of movement. In some way, it, 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 it's a pilgrimage going from the pastures to the waters, onto the path, through the valleys, up onto the tablelands. But the ultimate goal of the pilgrimage is yet higher still. It's God's house. And so on your journey through life as a Christian, you are not on your own. You're led by the shepherd. You're, you're always accompanied by goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy, think of them as your constant companions. They'll pursue you, it says, all the days of your life. They won't just come for a few days and then go, but they'll be there for the rest of your life. God's goodness, God's mercy becomes a permanent residence in the life, a permanent resident in the life of the sheep, led by the Lord as the shepherd. His goodness, his loving kindness is there all the time. And it leads right into the house of the Lord forever. When it comes right down to it, at the basic level, there are only two things we need to learn as we walk through life. We have to learn how to live, and then we have to learn how to die. The sheep in Psalm 23 learn both. And and verse 6 there summarizes it nicely. As for your life, you can be sure that God is always with you. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. And once life is done, I will dwell in the house of the Lord For how long? Forever. These are amazing promises. God takes his sheep through life and right into eternity. He ushers us right right into there, always being present with us. 
where we get to then be with the shepherd forever. So what can we learn from this beautiful psalm, this severe or or, or serene, sometimes tranquil psalm? Well, first, in order to enjoy the benefits and the care of the good shepherd, we have to be one of his sheep. John 10, verses 14 and 15 say, I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. The people who enjoy these wonderful benefits of the shepherd's care know his voice and follow him. They know and understand that he went so far as to lay down his life for them. It's amazing to ponder, isn't it? That in order to become the good shepherd, Jesus had to actually become a sheep. He's called the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. I pray that if you are not one of God's sheep, that you would repent of your sins and that you would turn away from them and put your trust in Jesus Christ, turning to him in faith, so that you too would come under the loving, the protecting, the guiding care of the shepherd. And for those of us who are God's sheep, I had to think about why. If we truly believe that the Lord is our shepherd, why don't we always feel like we have a shepherd? And why do we, why do I experience some of the things that the shepherd says we should not lack? Why do we not always feel like we're lying down in green pastures and being led beside still waters? Why does the image of peace and tranquility that these words evoke seem so absolutely foreign to us at times? Why does life seem to spiral out of control with busyness and with a never-ending frantic pace? Where's the rest? Why do we often feel like we've fallen and we can't get up? Why do we not feel God's guidance? Why do we feel uncertainty even about our future direction? Why do we get anxious about God's provision? Why do we lack security and safety? I can only think it's because we don't always put ourselves under the shepherd's care. We don't really trust him to say what he says he will do or to do what he says he will do. And so like, let's just call it for what it is, like clueless sheep, we start to wander away from the shepherd. Him we just sang, said it, right? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Next thing in that hymn I would have said is, why? <laughs> why do we do that? We think we actually know better sometimes. We think we might actually know what we need, and then we take things into our own hands. And that's exactly when we start to have feelings of indecision and tension and uncertainty and doubt. So fellow sheep, let me appeal to you like I have implored myself. Let the Lord be the one that guides the direction, the pace, the priorities of your life. My encouragement for you today is to recognize that the Lord is your shepherd, that he is the one that gives you true rest, that he is the one that will restore your soul that he is the one that guides you, that he is the one that protects you, protects you that, that he is the one that provides for you, that he is the one that ultimately gives you a heavenly home. Admit your need of shepherding and then put yourself under the shepherd's care. And when the Lord is your shepherd, you shall not lack anything that he knows is best for you. Let's bow in prayer.
Our God and our Heavenly Father, we thank you for these needed, these comforting, but also these pointed words to us this morning. Forgive us when when we have wandered away from your care. Forgive us for when we lose sight of the shepherd. Help us to truly delight in putting ourselves under the care of our good shepherd who is you. And God, we thank you that especially when we are in the middle of turbulent times, when we don't know where to turn for the promise that you will walk with us at all times and for the, for the wonderful promise of your ever-abiding goodness and mercy. We thank you for these things. And we pray that you'd help, help us all to press these truths into our own hearts and may your Holy Spirit do that work in us where he takes these words and uses, use it, uses them to strengthen us and to encourage us and to help us not to wander, but to stay firmly under the care of our shepherd. We pray these things in his name. Amen.